talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Okay, talk. Good one today. Longtime friend of the pod. Your friend and mine. He he was an, an absolutely integral part of Big Ten football for decades and decades. He's he's Teddy mm-hmm. Greenstein. He now works at pointsbet.com, right? It's a dot com. Pointsbet.com. Am I saying yeah, it right? You know, or, most people are just using the app, but I think we got it. Okay. Points bet. So listen, he he left the the newspaper world, but he remains in the sports world. And I've I've been, always thought this, Teddy. It's like the the mainstream media companies have to do more betting as right. we get to a point where sports betting, but also the idea that sports betting operations are sort of going to do like bring some journalists in. It goes both ways. Uh, I think we have had you on the por- on the pod before since you left, but like, how's the gig going? How's points bet going? How, what, you, what are you doing with your days right now? Are you having fun? Yeah, Doug, uh, about two years ago, um, I got a PR pitch uh, when I was still at the Tribune, of course. And the guy said, Hey, if you want to write about this kind of Australian online sports book uh, called points bet, cause they're going to be um, introducing Devin Hester as their Chicago face. And I was like, yes, because any opportunity to write about sports yes. betting, I would take any opportunity. Like I was the guy who was you know, writing every big 10 football game against a spread predicting and, and running our NFL pool in high school. Like this is a second language to me, all this stuff about money lines and spreads and teasers and parlays and all that. So I've been there since October 2020, and my main title is senior editor. So I write and edit our newsletter, which is called The Hustle. And I appear on podcasts and Golf Channel. I create bets. I write scripts for Paige uh, Sporanic, if uh, if anybody in your audience might know who Mm -hmm. that is. I I help out with kind of eyes and ears on social media. And then I added another role a few months ago, player development manager. In this case, player means better. So what I try to do is basically bring in big betters and then give them service, treat them like whales. So my man, when I'm going to a Cubs game now, it is not to be slumped over the laptop for four hours and sweat over extra innings or this guy breaking a story, or is that a rib injury or a wrist injury? Now I am entertaining clients and it is much more fun to be on this side. Hey, just, just be careful. Cause I'm, I'm still slumped. Man, I'm still slumped <laughs> over the keyboard. So, like, I didn't want to rub it in, but there's I, some I slumpers. I knew that life for 24 years of the trip plus uh, the Daily Northwestern. So, I was ready for something new. So, we're going to talk about three, two. We're going to talk about some Big Ten bets because you have a great handle on that. We're going to talk about a book that you just wrote. It's about quarterback dads. It's called Quarterback Dads, <laughs> um, which is really interesting. And then we're going to talk. I want to get your take on the Big Ten because you covered the conference as comprehensively and intelligently as anybody for two decades. So, I think you'll have some good insight there. Let's start with bets. When you have a team like Ohio State, Yep. In a conference like the Big Ten, where they are so dominant and they didn't win the conference last year, but they won it in 20 and they won it in 19 and they won it in 18, and they won it in 17. How do you go about trying to bet something like this? And listen, there's there, this is an Ohio State podcast. People are not looking to bet against Ohio State on this yeah. podcast, but is it worth betting on them with the kind of odds that you're going to get for Ohio State to win the Big Ten? And then we can maybe talk a little bit about the playoff, but is it how do you even go about trying to bet on Ohio State when they're such an overwhelming favorite all the time and this year included? Absolutely. So you have different options, but it is tough. I mean, and, and obviously fans will start going game to game and, and that Notre Dame game will be uh, will be amazing. But in terms of preseason stuff, one thing you can do is bet their over under win total. 
And as you would probably predict, that number is 10.5. For the top teams, it's always 10.5. So if they go 11-1, and one, it's a winner. If they go 10-2 and two or worse, it's a loser. The problem here is Ohio State is so popular for the over that it is minus 225 yeah. on the over. That's called the juice. So for people right. who don't know what that means, you have to wager 225 to make a profit of 100. Or if you're fading the Buckeyes, you bet 100 to make a profit of 185. But let's assume people are like, I'm not fading the Buckeyes. I want to risk yeah. these guys to win 11 or more. You know, that's, that's pretty expensive. All right. Another option is will Ohio State win the Big Ten? And that price is minus 235. So similarly, you got to punt down 235 to win 100, which is not going to be incredibly attractive for people. One other, a couple other offers we have at points bet. Heisman Trophy winner. Yes. Yeah. Who's favored? CJ. How, how heavy? How heavy of a favorite is he? And it's interesting that he is favored over Bryce Young. I wonder if that's more a statement about sort of the minds of Heisman voters that maybe guys like, like us just want a new story. Um, I think they Bryce do. won it last year. I think they do. C- yeah, I agree. CJ right now is plus 275, so roughly three to one. Bryce Young is plus 350. Then you've got Caleb Williams, your old friend, uh, Quinn Ewers. And mm. uh, how about Will Anderson? Will Anderson was third on my ballot last year, 25 to one. DJ Uyunglele, if people still remember him, 28 to one. So that's an intriguing one. Now, this is kind of fun. Let's say you want to play the favorites. We have a bet. You can have Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. If any of the three win the national title, you win. So it's them versus the field. But these guys are minus 345. So you've got to lay down 345 to win 100 on that. And that really could be three of your four playoff teams. It's such an, it is a little like the NFL, there's such parody. And especially week to week, um, goofy stuff happens. You know, the, the Bengals lost to the Jets last year yes. and then made the Super Bowl. And I know you're a Jets fan. So I, like you can really find that there's like no sure things in the NFL, which makes the, the betting, I think, more fun, but also maybe a little more dangerous unless you get a, maybe you get a real feel for things. Yep. College football is so top heavy that you really, you know, and then game to game with the point spread. Hey, how much are they going to, you know, they're a 35 point favorite while they're going to rest their whole, their starters in the second half. And then, you know, they're up by 50 and then all of a sudden you're not covering, but these early season, these preseason bets, Teddy. Yeah. I don't know if it's like, are you kidding me? I can get Bama, Georgia and Ohio state. Like that's practically free money. I don't, I'll, I'll pay all that juice. Let's right. do it. Or is there just, there's just no value. Like there's no value in it. Take a flyer on Utah or take a flyer on Texas A&M because you're right. going to get more out of it. Yeah, it kind of sucks right now with college football. I mean, it's the same four to six teams. I mean, what's that stat about, you know, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson in terms of the number of playoff games like those four right. schools have won? I mean, it, it's only a, a little handful for the other ones. Um, one more interesting bet that we have, if you want to fade the SEC – Alabama and Georgia are minus 115. Everybody else in America is minus 105. So remove those two teams, and it's basically even money. So if you're a guy, you like Ohio State, you're maybe rooting, you know, maybe you have a little soft spot for Clemson. Maybe you don't even hate Michigan and Michigan State. You get the entire country minus two teams. 
I like that. That I think is more interesting. I I'm kind of on Clemson this year and mm. obviously everybody's on Ohio state. And then yes. you get, you maybe get a little taste, a taste of somebody, you know, what if Baylor gets interesting? What if Utah or USC or Oregon gets interesting out West that I like a little bit more because I do think there's a chance, Teddy, depending how stuff shakes out, there's a pretty decent chance. Bama and Georgia are undefeated and they're 12 and 0, 12 and 0 in the SEC championship game. And they both get in no matter what, but what if that's not the case? And then all of a sudden, only one of Bama or Georgia is in, and you've got everybody else, and let's take yes. your shot. I, I kind of, if you like Ohio State, I like Clemson. That's maybe where I would go, that it's basically a coin flip. And then if you're an Ohio State fan listening to this podcast, you get the root against Bama and Georgia all year. I love betting futures. So uh, I'm feeling pretty good about the Cubs under 75 and a half victories, mm. although they've been winning a bunch lately. They need to settle down, stop that. I'm also betting on the Bears under seven and a half victories, which I probably shouldn't really let out because I'll be at some Bears games in the points bet suite. So I have to pretend to root for them. But I just felt like you get such value out of those bets that, you know, that last like two, three, four months sometimes. Yeah. Is there anybody else that you like in the Big Ten? I think Wisconsin's going to be good this year. I like Wisconsin yeah. over. I have Wisconsin going 11 and one. I think the West is interesting, but I think it's a hodgepodge. And I think they'll lose at Ohio State, but I think they're the better team in every other game they play. I think they were like maybe eight and a half or nine for their over. So I really do like Wisconsin. And we have talked about that a bit on this podcast. I didn't know if you just thought, um, there was somebody else, you know, Michigan, Michigan, I think is right around the right number for them. I think it's like nine or nine and a half. I mean, I think yeah. they're good. I don't know if they're as good as last year, but Wisconsin's kind of, and I've been anti Wisconsin many times in the past and not believing in them, but I, I really kind of do believe in them this year with their schedule and what they have defensively. And if, and I really like Braylon Allen. Well, I think one of two things needs to happen. Either you, you want a proxy bet through me because Ohio is unfortunately still not legal. Yep. Right on the verge, or you drive into Indiana and set up a points bet account because our over under for Wisconsin is eight point five. Yeah, so you I can think- be off by two games and you're still winning that bet. Now it is minus one sixty five, a lot of juice on that over. But if you're feeling like they're going to win at least nine, you know you're going to cash that ticket. The one that I have bet so far is the Minnesota over, okay. um, over seven point five. I feel like. Yeah, what's not to like? I mean, they always overachieve. Tanner Morgan is still there. Ibrahim, uh, uh, the, the great running back, is there. They got, I think, Kirk Sherrock is back at o- offensive coordinator. I just think that's that, that's a team that's always kind of belittled and always delivers eight or nine uh, victories a year. I guess you have to decide if Tanner Morgan being back is good or bad. Oh, because that's, 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 I'm not taking a shot at Tanner Morgan. I mean, I think at age 37, he's really going to hit his. I know. Head. It's like he was really good when he had Rashad Bateman, and now Rashad that's Bateman's true. not there anymore. So um, the thing, and, and again, we want to inform people Ohio is going to be legal January 1st. I guess there's, I don't know if there's some small chance they somehow would go before then. It's right. sort of like, I don't know if the lawmakers understand that <laughs> football is when people want to bet. And football <laughs> is the sport that everybody in Ohio loves. It might have behooved them to make it September 1st, not January 1st. But how much do you think, like you've seen it in Illinois, it's in all these other Midwestern states, it's in so many states around the country. How do you think it changes things? And listen, to be honest, Teddy, there are some people who listen to this podcast and I've received feedback who said, like, I don't like the betting talk. I don't want no you doubt. guys talking about it. Like, that's not no. my thing. I'm never interested in that. Yep. And there are some people who really like it. And then there's a lot of people in the middle. And yes. I think I'm the kind of person who's in the middle. I 
I'm intrigued by it. And I can imagine a world where if it's easy to do and it's now legal in my state, that will maybe change my thinking on it. How many sports fans do you think are in that range? How much do you think legalization of sports betting in your state sort of changes the equation for the average sports fan? Doug, I think it's such an age thing. You know, I think if you're 60 and up, you know, most people weren't betters. There certainly are a lot of guys I know who have had bookies or, you know, made trips to Vegas and, and would visit the sports books. But certainly you're more traditional sports fans who are in it to, hey, it just means a lot to me if Ohio State wins the Big Ten and beats Michigan and uh, beats Notre Dame in that opener. And they just don't care about whether they cover, you know, the nine and a half, those kind of things. And then definitely there are a lot of people in the middle who are intrigued, who are curious. Maybe they bet a little here or there. Um, and then I feel like people, most sports fans, like under the age of like 30 are just so used to it now. So like one of our things with points bet is we want to make it. So, you know, your second screen is not necessarily ESPN.com. Uh, it's going to be points bet because you're going to be so interested to see like how the line is moving and like, so it's called live betting, right? Yeah. And let's say at the start of a game, Ohio State's a 10 and a half point favorite. If Ohio State scores the first touchdown, then they're probably a 13 and a half point favorite. And the money line adjusts and the props adjust. So CJ, CJ Stroud, when he started the game, his over under passing total was 327.5. Well, he had a great first drive. So now it's 338.5. So some people are fascinated by this and some say, leave me alone. I don't want this. And that's what the networks are grappling with. Like points bet, we have a big deal with NBC. So we have a lot of stuff on Golf Channel, but we don't get a lot of stuff on the main NBC broadcasts. And that's we're always trying to get more on those mm. broadcasts. And NBC is saying, well, we don't want to turn off our traditional viewers. I will say my greatest, my, my greatest experience with live betting, I was in Vegas for the NCAA tournament once. Because everyone, you could kind of do that once in your life. And I was there and there was a heavy favorite that wasn't doing so well. So like at every commercial bank, I, I ran up and I, bet the favorite because it's like listen they're going to come back they're going to come back it's going to be fine this is crazy and it was virginia umbc and i bet on virginia 12 times in two hours as the <laughs> first 16 one upset in ncaa history i was like man this live betting is easy wait till virginia That's goes right. on a 40 nothing run slamming oh, it down man. every commercial so be careful be careful, folks. Well, and also, I mean, we'd be remiss if we did not mention the mother of all bad beats, which, of course, was Ohio State Northwestern in Evanston, oh. where like your first horrible lateral thing got wrong ends up with, you know, Brent Musburger saying and some people are saying, I can't believe what just happened. So Joey, both our schools, uh, you know, even though you're a Northwestern guy, I'll, I'll say you're Ohio State for this. Our schools have, uh, you know, had some epic uh, battles. Yes. All right. So. It's, it's going to change for people. And again, here at Cleveland.com and on Buckeye Talk, you know, we're trying to be realistic about it, that yep. it, for some people, it's just going to become more of their experience. And we want to acknowledge that. We want to bring that to people for people who are into it, but also understanding it's, it's not for everybody. But I could remember, Teddy, I did a story, you know, Phil Steele, of course, who produces the preseason magazine based in Cleveland. And I did a story on Phil Soon after I got here at Cleveland.com, it must have been like in 2007 or 2008. And I went up to Cleveland and I, and I wrote about him. And I remember then like he was a preseason college football magazine that had like a, a lot of gambling ads in it. And there were some people associated with college football who like didn't exactly love that. 
and kind of sometimes didn't want to be super cooperative with Phil because he had gambling ads. And now here we are. And it's like, it's just the world. And that's how so many things happen, but we have come a long way in 15 years where there were a lot of people. And and I do think it's a little different college sports, right? Because back then everything was amateurism and the players aren't getting paid and you shouldn't be betting on it. And everything has changed, but I like it. Don't you think it was different with college that, Hey, millionaires, millionaires are doing it, bet money on it. But I think it, it, for some people, maybe they'll never get past that, but it's just a different equation. You know, what's going to be fascinating, Doug, to see, what the state regulators in Ohio decide. Yes. So points bet is legal in 10 states, but all that means is there are 10 different rules. So for example, the live tour, the golf tour, we can only post those in Illinois. And then in terms of college sports, you can't bet on Illinois, Northwestern Loyola on the app. You have to physically go into one of the sports books to bet in the state of New Jersey. You can't bet on Rutgers And you can't bet on a sporting event that is taking place in that state. So if Virginia is playing North Carolina for some reason in basketball in the state of New Jersey, you can't bet it there. And then every state has a different rule for college props. So in Illinois, I can bet on C.J. Stroud's passing total. And I believe in Iowa, you can't. And in some states, you can bet them live and some you can't. So that's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Ohio because it's this balance between you know, some legislators who are saying, oh, no, no, let's keep the purity here. Let's not, I guess, put any more pressure on these players by saying, you know, by having receptions over six and a half versus the tax money. Because the more props you allow, the more betting you allow, the more tax dollars and revenue you're going to bring in. And I do think NIL is part of the conversation there because I do yep. think where it's like the players aren't making any money. Is there almost something inherently wrong about people can make money off of them betting, but they can't do it. But also would somehow an amateur sport where no, the players aren't making money be more susceptible to someone from the outside coming in and offering those players money to affect the point spread. But if now players are making money, maybe that changes the thinking. Exactly. And that's, and that's, I tell people too, like, yes, five, five years before NIL, you could make a case that, you know, a, a top college football player. I mean, let's say somebody had, I don't want to say Troy Smith because I love Troy Smith, but if somebody had gotten to a, an important college football player who could influence a game, maybe they'd be a little vulnerable because they weren't theoretically getting much on the side. Now all the top guys are, there's no way that they're going to jeopardize their entire NFL or NBA career to make a few grand from, from some scummy gambler. And also, and because this is all out, out there and regulated, like if somebody wants to bet $20,000 on the first half under on the Ohio Bobcats, Bobcats, like everybody's going to know about it and sirens are going to be up there. Whereas when people were doing it with a bookie, it was much more undercover. So I think there's much less chance of a scandal now that it's been legalized. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, I do think sort of generally as a person, you might be the kind of person who thinks like this stuff happens. You're not going to stop it. So let's regulate it and tax it. Versus a person who thinks, I don't think people should be doing this. It should be illegal. And that you can you can look at a gazillion things in society and decide yeah, which side. And that's fine. Like everybody yes. has different views. Yes. But the more the government realizes it's happening, let's get involved both for regulation yeah. and for get some for ourselves you wind up at this place. And I, and I don't know that I always thought it was inevitable, but now that it's here, I think it mostly makes sense, but I am fascinated. I don't know exactly where Ohio, Ohio's slow. 
obviously Ohio is slow on this because the state is surrounded by states that allow it. But I don't know exactly where where they're going to fall with all these things, because obviously, I mean, this is a football mad state. People want to bet on Ohio State because it might just be fun to have 10 bucks on a team that you love. And and I would be very curious if somehow like they wouldn't let that happen. It kind of wouldn't make sense to me to not allow that. But then again, again, this is they've been slow, uh, slow on the draw on this. So maybe they won't want it. Yeah. I mean, everything is a negotiation. I mean, as I tell people, I get points like we're not curing cancer, but it is way better to have this stuff legal than for people to be betting with their bookies. Because if you bet with your bookie, you're doing it on credit. You're betting money that you don't have. And then if you can't pay up, you got all sorts of problems. And um, there's no tax benefit to society. So states are now, you know, bringing in a ton of revenue because of this. And I do see it exactly the same as cannabis. Like people are going to smoke pot. So you may as well regulate it then you can sure higher quality and then you tax it. And then even the people who don't smoke are benefiting from it. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. Teddy wrote a book. We'll come back. We'll talk about that next. I'm Buckeye John. Doug LaMaurice, like Teddy, Teddy I got to tell you, uh, you have a lot of good people saying nice stuff about your book in the beginning of it. You got Pat Fitzgerald. You got Brett Bielema. I, I wrote a book and, and nobody said anything nice about my book. I'm just impressed I'm impressed with the book, but I'm impressed with the the little blurbs you got from all these uh, established folks. What's what's going on, man? They just love well, you. I know. I mean, we got Fitz. We got Mike Rosenberg from Sports Illustrated. And he's actually the one who helped me get an interview with Todd Marinovich. So oh. thank you, Mike Rosenberg. Pete Thamel, your friend and mine. I mean, if he didn't give me an ice blurb, I was going to pretty much haunt him for the rest of his life. Greg Vandegrift, who is the father of Brock Vandegrift, who is now battling, I guess, for Number two at Georgia behind Stetson Bennett. He uh, is an interesting one. Got Brady Quinn. Uh, you've probably, you're probably familiar with Heard him. Yeah. Um, got Bieloma, Matt Fortuna, and Alan True. Um, people were great. There are very few people who turned me down uh, for this book. Although Kirk Herbstreet, you owe me a phone call, buddy. Now oh. I got Herbie for this one. But, you know, I think it's a topic that a lot of people wanted to talk about, especially guys like Joel Klatt and Brady Quinn, because like they feel like they owe so much of their success to their dads. And I think a lot of those guys, too, are a bit miffed or horrified by the modern quarterback dad who is just completely obsessed with statistics and, you know, doesn't doesn't only know his son's statistics or the backup quarterback stats, but also knows knows the Instagram follower account and has hired and fired seven quarterback trainers and is flying all around the country to different camps. There's just such an obsession with a lot of these guys that I think some people find unhelpful. So. I was going to ask a question. So quarterback dads, are they good or bad? And I guess the whole point is some of them are good yes. and some of them are bad. Um, wh- one thing that that came up in the course of when I was writing my recruiting book about Ohio State, I was talking to Darren Lee and Darren Lee's mom. And Darren Lee was a high school quarterback who obviously yep. became a star linebacker at Ohio State and first round draft pick at linebacker. But as a single mom, um, his mom was talking about how when he was going through the process and he was a quarterback, like they kind of didn't know what was up about like, well, what camp are you supposed to go to and what, where should we be? And should I, should we have a quarterback trainer? And she felt like they wound up like a little bit behind the eight ball. And that not that 
not that Darren would have been a quarterback, but that they felt like they lost out on some things because they kind of didn't know how the system worked. And that was a decade ago. Yeah. With the way it works now, how helpful is it, do you think, if your family has the resources and the wherewithal and the knowledge to help you get a trainer, to help you get to the right camps? How important is that for a high school quarterback who's trying to develop and get a college scholarship? Doug, that's part of why I wanted to write this book, because like quarterbacks, black, white, rich, poor, urban, rural, like they come from all different places. They have all different backgrounds. It is definitely an advantage if you have the resources to, you know, to have the the, the best, quote unquote, best trainer to link up with your with your son. I mean, I've I've got guys in this book, Kane and Adam Archer. He's now a ninth, 10th grader. He's been offered by almost everyone, including Michigan. Uh, they live on the Texas Arkansas border, and their choice for a quarterback trainer is in California. So they yeah. fly to California. Now the old man, he he's a very successful like auto dealer and um, real estate guy, so he's got the means for it. It's the same thing too. I mean, th- there are some folks an hour north of me, um, Jr. and the kid's name is Trey Taylor. You're going to be hearing about him. As a seventh grader last year, he got an offer from the University of Maryland as yeah. a seventh grader. It helps that, you know, they're a nice middle-class family and they've been able to have Donovan Dooley and different trainers who help them out and gets their kid really, really ready and they can afford to travel to all these places. So it's not a must, but it is a huge advantage if one, you got the resources and two, you have a good social media presence because if you have a good Twitter and Instagram, these camps are more likely to invite you. And if you get invited to the camps, the coaches are going to see you. It's interesting because I'm I'm trying to think how to say this the right way. There are some sports where obviously athleticism is important, but it's more of an acquired skill, right? That And then, then there are some sports like, well, you know, if you're big and you're strong and you're fast, that's going to take you a long way. And then once you get to college, they'll refine your technique. Right. But I feel like maybe sports like golf, I think would be one of those. Tennis might be one of those where you could be a great athlete, but if you don't have the refined technique when you're a teenager, you're not going to develop to the point where you'll be able to go on and be a pro or have a college career. You sort of need to have lessons. Is quarterback, maybe receiver, maybe defensive line, right? That those are still more the positions where if you're big and strong and fast, it'll work out. Is being a quarterback more like being a golfer now? I mean, if you don't have the right mind, you might be Jamarcus Russell. Yep. It might be Ryan Leaf. You might be a guy with all the physical tools in the world who's simply underachieves. Um, we've seen that. And or if you really do have great makeup, you might be Stetson Bennett, where everybody looks at you and they just think, ah, here's somewhere a little runt. He's whatever he is, five eleven, six feet. Yeah. But he's obviously got the toughness and the smarts and the diligence to to go after it. I mean, Kyler Murray's obviously been in the news. We don't know exactly how much he studies or doesn't study. So there's not one way to do it, but I mean, after talking to Archie Manning, you know, they did it. They did it one way. Um, Peyton was totally obsessed with watching film. I mean, when Peyton was a kid, like he was so obsessive about it. His dad, Archie would say to him, it's like, could you go out and get a girlfriend? Like, could you go see yeah. a movie? You know, I mean, he had to rein him in. Like Peyton's the one who's at the, at the little league game screaming at all the other players. You got to take extra BP. And Archie's like, could you just shut up, man? Some kids just want to shut up, show up and be here. Yeah. And then you've got other kids who need the motivation. So there's a lot of range there in terms of what these kids need. And that's a lot of what the book talks about. Did you come across 
many dads who had regrets about how they did it, that maybe they tried too hard again, just from, I covered um, in an, when she, well, she was in middle school when I started writing about her and then early in her high school career, Elena Deladon in the state of oh, Delaware, when sure. she was the best high school girls basketball in the uh, basketball player in the country and has gone on and is an incredible player in the WNBA was a great college player, but she you know, her, I don't, I didn't, I got to know her family. I didn't ever think her family pushed her too much. I, I don't think that was the issue. They supported her. They didn't push her too much. They were very well off financially. She could have every kind of uh, trainer she wanted, but she just was so famous and so accomplished. So young, she was playing high school basketball as an eighth grader that she, she burned out. Every, I think a lot of people know that story. Right. She went to UConn. She left, she played college volleyball. Then she played college basketball at Delaware. She absolutely burned out. And I don't know that that family has regrets about it, but this was a great rare athlete who maybe was too good, too fast and burned out. How often did you come across that? Do people have regrets about like, Hey, we, we had the best of intentions, but in the end, it turns out maybe we pushed too hard and it was a negative more than a positive. You know, what's funny about that, Doug. So I have a chapter 14, the regret from quarterback dad, and it's actually the opposite of what you're describing. So the vast majority of, successful former athletes, like if the better you were as an athlete, the less involved you are, the more likely you are to hand off your child to, uh. to the professionals. However, there's one glaring exception and that's Phil Sims and Phil Sims son, Chris, yep. he was a top, top quarterback, as you know, out of New Jersey. And he chose to go to Texas and he had a miserable experience there. Cause he's trying to beat out major apple white and, He's a Yankee, and at that point, you know, guys are not really transferring out, so he's sticking with it. And uh, Phil Sims told me, he's like, what the hell does a 16- or 17-year-old kid know about what's best for his future? If I had to do it all over again, I would pick the college for my kid because uh, I know what's going on here, and I know where the best coaches are and the best situation and all that. But that is unusual. Most of the successful dads in here will, tell, will say, hey, the kid's going to be the one who, when he throws those three interceptions and is getting booed and can't sleep at night, it's on him. So we want the kid to make that, that, that choice himself and have it not fall on the parents. Were people mostly receptive when you said you wanted to talk to them? Or were there, did you have to fight to talk to people? Were there people that you wanted to get who just said no? I would especially imagine if it's like you're trying to talk about like, hey, maybe it didn't go so well. Like what, what was it when you're trying to write this book? Yeah. Did you get who you wanted? Yeah, almost everybody. Like I did actually try Ryan Leaf and and uh, I think he um, passed politely. And Herb Street, I was never able to get a hold of. But like everybody else was down to talk about it. And that was really nice, including the coaches. Like if you're a coach like Pat Fitzgerald or Brett Bielema, let's be honest, you want to talk to me for this book because you're so sick of the modern quarterback dads who are just a pain in your ass. Like I asked, Fitz, I'm like, do you have any bad quarterback dads? And he goes, not one. And I said, how? He's like, because in the 10th grade, we start weeding them out. So we, you know, we analyze the situation and I'll ask, I'll ask the dad, what type of quarterback dad are you going to be? And if he gives the wrong answer, i.e., you know, I'm going to be calling you every day and texting you and suggesting plays, they just cross them off the list and Fitz doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Did you like doing it or did it, did it by the end where you're no. like, please let me get this book done. Please let me get this book done. I mean, the timing worked well with the pandemic. We all had extra time on our hands. Um, you know, I, I didn't do a ton of live reporting. I did fly out to Arizona and spend time with Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner 
His backyard is like a resort. He's got a 50-yard football field, including basketball and golf and all that kind of stuff. And got to know his son, EJ, a little bit. He's going to be a college freshman or maybe sophomore. Um, so because of the pandemic, it was mostly by Zooms and phone calls. But yeah, man, I, I view it like I viewed covering the Olympics. I didn't really want to cover the Olympics, but I wanted to have covered the Olympics. Yeah. I wanted to have written a book and I'm glad I did. And now it's on my shelves and it's something if my girls ever want to read is there for them, but uh, it was great to be done. I can promise you that. When I was uh, same line of thinking to you, it's like to have done it is great while you're doing it. It's sort of like, why, why am I doing this? Yeah. I'd rather, Uh, I'd rather watch Netflix or college football on the Thursday night. Let's be honest. I was at Disney world. And my editor was like, hey, this is like the final proof. Like, if you want to just go back over this and edit anything, you know, it's we're going to press in like a couple of days. And I was like sitting out in the lobby of our hotel at three o'clock in the morning while my family was sleeping, like re-editing the final pages. And uh, I'll be honest, I reached some point. I was like, I don't care. So That's like it. I re I like did a final edit on like half <laughs> of my chapters and the other half I didn't. And I don't know if you can tell or not. Maybe people who bought the book can tell us like, oh no, no one edited this one. So I was just like, please, please let me be done so I can go on my vacation. Um real quick, my version of that is we're coming out with an audiobook. So a lot of people were, were like, why don't you just read the audiobook? And I said, because I don't want to have to read my book again. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. yeah. You're doing another, how do you do an audiobook? Ooh, you hire a company and then you get, you know, you hear all these different samples these guys have. So we've got this guy named Eric with this great, deep, rich voice. But I thought we were going to have the audiobook done in April. And oh, yeah, it's late July and it's still not here. So I'm hoping we're going to ah. have it in the next couple of weeks so we can pitch it for uh, football season. That's really good. Man, maybe I got to call Eric myself. Okay. <laughs> I want to get some of your thoughts in the Big Ten, Teddy, because you know it so well, even though you're just sitting in luxury boxes, hanging out, drinking champagne <laughs> now. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug back with Teddy. It's quarterback dads, wild tales from the field, uh, interviews with Archie Manning, Kurt Warner, Todd Murnovich, Warren Moon, and many more. Uh, Amazon, I would assume, you can get on there pretty much anywhere where books are sold, right? Certainly Amazon. If you're interested in handsome quarter zips like this, we have a website qbdads.com. So we have a quarter zip here. Yeah. I don't have a quarter zip of nothing. My God, we Teddy. We got hats. We got like workout shirts. We got a lot of nice stuff. Or I would tell people, hey, if you want an autographed copy, uh, I can send it to you personally. So just DM me at Teddy Greenstein. Okay. All right, Teddy. So you, I, I'm sure, do you get pangs during Big Ten Media Days? When in your previous, no, no pang. Oh, I could no, be no there. Pang to be down in Indianapolis uh, asking the same question I've asked, you know, for, for uh, 17 years. No, I love being on this side of it, Doug. All right. No panging, no panging. But <laughs> obviously, you know, you were really good. We saw you in, in Columbus a lot. You would show up for all the big, big 10 games. But you also, one of your main duties since the, uh, the Big Ten is headquartered in Chicago and you were with the Chicago Tribune. It's like you covered the league, you covered the conference, you covered the business side, you covered the expansion, you covered the Big Ten network. You got to know Jim Delaney and how Jim Delaney thought. When you see where the Big Ten is now, that it seems like the non-SEC version of college football is coalescing around the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And, and I asked this when Gene Smith and Ohio State President Christina Johnson had a news conference after the announcement of USC and UCLA joining, I said like, well, how come we're not in a world where Ohio state and Michigan are joining the PAC 12, you know, that like, that sounds crazy to people, but is it any crazier than USC and UCLA 
joining the Big Ten. But like nobody would think that because the Big Ten is so stable and makes so much money. What happened in the past, Teddy, that set the Big Ten up to be this stable and this profitable so that instead of the Big Ten splintering, people are coming to them? Why is that the case? It's such a great question. And I think it all starts with the equal revenue sharing. So like the Big 12 splintered because you had all these different amounts and like Texas probably felt like it should be making six times as much as Texas Tech. And, you know, everybody was was not equal. And in the Big Ten, it's always been equal. And I think it works because, like, basically every school is contributing something. Like, let's talk about the Let's talk about it before um, Rutgers and Maryland were in. So those first 12, like, all right, Purdue had generally lousy football, except for, you know, Drew Brees and uh, and that was but amazing basketball and a great gym and Mackey Arena. And you got some chops of like astronauts and um, and engineering. Northwestern might only have 27,000 people at a football game, might have 19,000 people. But we, we what do we bring? Chicago and academics like every school brought something right. Wisconsin and Iowa and Penn State and all that. Um, and that's still the case. I think Maryland brings less. Rutgers, I, you know, I, I still have a soft spot for Rutgers being a being a New Yorker, and I still see a lot of potential there. Um, but I think that was the case. And now, I'll tell you what, with USC and UCLA coming in, my thought was just like Kevin Warren. That was a savage move. Yeah, I think about the show Succession, and I think about Logan Roy at one point telling Kendall, "Like you're not a killer. You have to be a killer." And Kevin Warren in that moment was a killer because he kind of killed the Pac-12. And the Rose Bowl in one move while yeah. strengthening the Big Ten. So that was uh, that was an incredibly bold move that I would not have seen coming. <clears throat> Do you think the Big Ten is here primarily because it's old? The Midwest really cares about football. Right. There are anchor programs in Ohio State and Michigan that everything can kind of revolve around. It's um, it's certainly more it's, you know, the the South and the SEC are unto themselves, but college football is bigger in the Midwest than it is in L.A. or it is in New York and that kind of thing. Is that primarily part of it or how much of like, do you see Jim Delaney's fingerprints on this? And again, I was joking with some of us who've been doing this a long time, you know, back when we were all covering the launch of the Big Ten Network and everybody was freaking out. Is my yep. cable system going to have the Big Ten Network by the time the season starts? Mm-hmm. And how odd that seemed, but yet how important that was to where we are now. Yes. How much was did Jim Delaney sort of lay the groundwork for the Big Ten to be in this good of a spot? A thousand percent. It, it really all goes back to a story I wrote forever ago. You had Mark Shapiro, this kind of hotshot ESPN executive, and he's talking to Jim Delaney and Shapiro basically lowballs Delaney in the Big Ten. And he says, okay, well, we're happy to, to, to take your stuff again, but we're not really going to give you much of an increase. And at that point, Delaney threatens and he says, uh, well, if you do that, we're going to create our own network. Um, and Shapiro says, well, if you do that, that's a big roll of the dice. And Delaney says, consider them rolled. <laughs> and that starts everything. Because when he's thinking about a network, then he's thinking about TV and he's thinking about eyeballs and expansion and I know we were all surprised when the Big Ten only added Nebraska in that first swoop because we thought it was going to be about eyeballs and, you know, and more markets. But then that came with Maryland and Rutgers, and it's certainly coming now with the West Coast. So, yeah, to answer your question, 
it absolutely starts with Jim Delaney. It starts with the Big Ten Network. It starts with, you know, not saying 11 is enough. Yeah. And to answer your question about, you know, why, why is the Big Ten such a big deal? Like Pat Forty did these desirability rankings for yep. SI recently. And number one, Ohio State. Number two, Michigan. Wisconsin is seven. Penn State is 11. Exactly. We, we don't necessarily have the best football players. Most of them reside in the South and maybe California. But we've got the most fans, and we've got tradition, and people love Big Ten football. You're a former insider who is on the outside now drinking champagne in the suites. But is your guess that the Big Ten expands more sooner than later from the outside? I was just reading in, in The Athletic, I believe it was. You know, one thing I hadn't thought about is if you add two more West Coast schools, then you get that TV window, right? I mean, then then you got four schools out there. Then maybe you can have two games every Saturday, and I'm sure, I'm sure that's attractive to try to get Big Ten games on at ten or eleven o'clock Eastern time. So I'm going to think yes. I mean, all along I've been saying why would Notre Dame join a conference? Like they have their cake and eat it too. But it's getting really close to where you know Notre Dame might say, okay, you know, you want to add us in Stanford. Um, the Big Ten is is offering a, a ton of the stuff that uh, that appeals to us. He's Teddy Greenstein. He wrote a book. He covers betting. He drinks champagne. Um, <laughs> Teddy, again, if people want to follow you, keep up with what you're doing now, what's the best way to do that? Is it on Twitter? What should they do? Yeah, Twitter's the best, at Teddy Greenstein. So if anybody watching this, by the way, is like, say, in the state of Indiana or Michigan or Iowa or Illinois, if anybody wants to have a points bet account and tons of Free bets to start. Just hit me up on Twitter at Teddy Greenstein and Doug. Hopefully we will be doing this a lot more come January one, because um, Ohio is going to be a huge, huge push for our company. And um, hopefully everybody there will be um, wanting to open uh, an account with us. Congratulations on the new gig. Glad everything is going well for you. Um, Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on Buckeye talk. He's Teddy Greenstein of points bet. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.